Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. Talking about book three, chapter 15, even though I accidentally wrote chapter 16. I always muck things up, don't I? I'm such a muck-upper. Emperor Alexander seems eager to push forward while the older Kutuzov wants to hang back. Who do you think is right? Why do you think Tolstoy included some of the battle from the horse's perspective towards the end of the chapter? Ikar 100 said, is this chapter 15? Yes, it is chapter 15. Sorry for putting the wrong heading. Even if we disregard history, I reckon an experienced general has a better chance of being correct than some dude who happened to be born to the right family. Part of that understanding of monarchy is why I find the description of the emperor lacking a single flaw slightly annoying. As for the horse... His perspective was probably used to show how pointless this all is. While reading, I found the description very dignified. While looking at the question, I found it very funny. Gurgis Asamuli says, Their motives are pretty obvious. The emperor is young, feels adored by everyone, and wants to show off his might in front of the Austrian counterpart and ally. Kutuzov, being a veteran that he is, keeps his head cool in spite of the two wounds to it. The question I've always asked myself is why did he never try to withstand the Austrian influence and even the pressure of own sovereign organising the battle order and movement of troops? Tolstoy makes it clear that Kutuzov had known beforehand that the battle would be lost. Not only he'd mentioned it to the Knaz Andre, but he also tells off the general that intended to align his forces when they would have left the village behind, assuming the French were still far away, while Kutuzov never hesitates to tell him that they were in fact much closer. But that's about it. He makes no further efforts to prevent the catastrophe, or at least to alleviate it. I think he makes quite a big effort. I think it might just be downplayed a bit, because um, everyone, all his sort of higher-ups, they all seem to really dislike Kutuzov at this point. Um, so there's a sort of... I think Kutuzov has been quite outspoken about it, but copped a lot of flack for his opinion. Andre Volkonsky, 69, says, As for the first question, I think he just acknowledges the fact that he can't. Field Marshal is only a title after all, and when you're faced with overwhelming position, opposition to your plan, and opposition that has the support of the literal sovereign and are dealing with relatively inexperienced troops who really couldn't care less about whether Austria falls to the French or not, all you can really do is try to minimise the damage where you can. Uh, Twisted Every Way says, I've got to be honest, I was spacing out so much while reading this chapter that I totally missed the horse part. I feel like Tolstoy is just trying to show us every wrong move the Russians made on the way to losing, I assume, this battle. I'm ready to go get to the battle and find out what happens. Yeah, we've got to be getting closer now. Four lost souls in a bowl says, Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Kutuzov knows where he stands. He said as much as he dares say. Now it's time to do his duty. I guess at a certain point, you know, he has his right to put in his two cents, but at the end of the day, he answers to the sovereign, and he knows that, and so if he's got to do it, he's got to do it to the best of his ability. And I guess that's all, that's all there is to it. Mr. Kudazov. All right.
Now, we are reading, actually reading, chapter 16. Um, Maud edition, yet again. Goes like this. Kutuzov, accompanied by his adjutants, rode at the walking pace behind the carabineers. When he had gone less than half a mile in the rear of the column, he stopped at a solitary deserted house that had probably once been an inn, where two roads parted. Both of them led downhill, and troops were marching along both. The fog had begun to clear, and enemy troops were already dimly visible about, about a mile and a half off on the opposite heights. Down below, on the left, the firing became more distinct. Kutuzov had stopped and was speaking to an Austrian general. Prince Andrei, who was a little behind looking at them, turned to an adjutant to ask him for a field glass. Look, look, said his adjutant, looking not at the troops in the distance, but down the hill before him. It's the French. The generals and the adjutant took hold of the field glass, trying to snatch it from one another. The expression on all their faces suddenly changed to one of horror. The French were supposed to be a mile and a half away, but had suddenly and unexpectedly appeared just in front of us. It's the enemy? No. Yes. See, it is, for certain. But how is that? said different voices. With the naked eye, Prince André saw below them to the right, not more than 500 paces from where Kutuzov was standing, a dense French column coming up to meet the Apsherons. Here it is, the decisive moment has arrived. My turn has come, thought Prince André, and striking his horse he rode up to Kutuzov. The Apsherons must be stopped, Your Excellency, cried he, but at that very instant a cloud of smoke spread all around, firing was heard quite close at hand, and a voice of naive terror, barely two steps from Prince André, shouted, Brothers, all's lost! And at this, as if at a command, everyone began to run. Confused and ever-increasing crowds were running back to where five minutes before the troops had passed the emperors. Not only would it have been difficult to stop that crowd, it was even impossible not to be carried back with it oneself. Bolkonsky only tried not to lose touch with it, and looked around bewildered and unable to grasp what was happening in front of him. Nezvitsky, with an angry face, red and unlike himself, was shouting to Kutuzov that, it, that if he did not ride away at once, he would certainly be taken prisoner. Kutuzov remained in the same place, and without answering, drew out a handkerchief. Blood was flowing from his cheek. Prince Andrei forced his way to him. Are you wounded? he asked, hardly able to master the trembling of his lower jaw. The wound is not here, it is there, said Kutuzov, <coughs> pressing the handkerchief to his wounded cheek and pointing to the fleeing soldiers. Stop them, he shouted. And at the same moment, probably realising that it was impossible to stop them, spurred his horse and rode to the right. A fresh wave of the flying mob caught him and bore him back with it. The troops were running in such a dense mass that once surrounded by them, it was difficult to get out again. One was shouting, Get on! Why are you hindering us? Another in the same place turned round and fired in the air. A third was striking the horse Kutuzov himself rode. Having by a great effort got away to the left from that flood of men, Kutuzov, with his suite diminished by more than half, rode toward a sound of artillery fire nearby. Having forced his way out of the crowd of fugitives, Prince Andrei, trying to keep near Kutuzov, saw on the slope of the hill, amid the smoke, a Russian battery that was still firing and Frenchmen running toward it. 
Higher up stood some French infantry moving neither forward to protect the battery nor backward with the fleeing crowd. A mounted general separated himself from the infantry and approached Kutuzov. Of Kutuzov's suite only four remained. They were all pale and exchanged looks in silence. Stop those wretches, gasped Kutuzov to the regimental commander, pointing to the soldiers flying. But at that instant, as if to punish him for those words, bullets flew hissing across the regiment and across Kutuzov's suite like a flock of little birds. The French had attacked the battery and seeing Kutuzov were firing at him. After this volley, the regimental commander clutched at his leg. Several soldiers fell, and a second lieutenant who was holding the flag let it fall from his hands. It swayed and fell, but caught on the muskets of the nearest soldiers. The soldiers started firing without orders. Oh, 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 groaned Kutuzov despairingly and looked around. Bolkonsky, he whispered, his voice trembling from a consciousness of the feebleness of age. Bolkonsky, he whispered, pointing to the disordered battalion and at the enemy. What's that? But before he had finished speaking, Prince Andrei, feeling tears of shame and anger choking him, had already leapt from his horse and run to the standard. Forward, lads, he shouted in a voice piercing as a child's. Here it is, thought he, seizing the staff of the standard and hearing, with pleasure, the whistle of bullets evidently aimed at him. Several soldiers fell. Hurrah, shouted Prince Andrei, and scarcely able to hold up the heavy standard, he ran forward with full confidence that the whole battalion would follow him. And really he only ran a few steps alone. One soldier moved and then another, and soon the whole battalion ran forward shouting hurrah and overtook him. A sergeant of the battalion ran up and took the flag that was swaying from its weight in Prince André's hands, but he was immediately killed. Prince André again seized the standard and dragging it by the staff ran on with the battalion. In front he saw our artillerymen, some of whom were fighting, while others, having abandoned their guns, were running toward him. He also saw French infantry soldiers who were seizing the artillery horses and turning the guns around. Prince André and the battalion were already within twenty paces of the cannon. He heard the whistle of bullets above him unceasingly, and to the right and left of him soldiers continually groaned and dropped. But he did not look at them. He looked only at what was going on in front of him at the battery. He now saw clearly the figure of a red-haired gunner with a shako knocked awry, pulling one end of a mop, while a French soldier tugged at the other. He could distinctly see the distraught yet angry expression on the faces of these two men who evidently did not realise what they were doing. What are they about? thought Prince André as he gazed at them. Why doesn't the red-haired gunner run away as he is unarmed? Why doesn't the Frenchman stab him? He will not get away before the Frenchman remembers his bayonet and stabs him. And really another French soldier, tailing, trailing his musket, ran up to the struggling men and the fate of the red-haired gunner, who had triumphantly secured the mop and still did not realise what awaited him, was about to be decided, but Prince André did not see how it ended. It seemed to him as though one of the soldiers near him hit him on the head with the full swing of a bludgeon. It hurt a little, but the worst of it was that the pain distracted him and prevented his seeing what he had been looking at. "'What's this? Am I falling?' My legs are giving way, thought he, and he fell on his back. He opened his eyes, hoping to see how the struggle of the Frenchman with the gunners ended, whether the red-haired gunner had been killed or not, and whether the cannon had been captured or saved, but he saw nothing. Above him there was now nothing but the sky, the lofty sky, not clear yet, still immeasurably lofty, with grey clouds gliding slowly across it. How quiet! 
peaceful and solemn. Not at all as I ran, thought Prince André. Not as we ran, shouting and fighting. Not at all as the gunner and the Frenchman, with frightened and angry faces, struggled for the mop. How differently do those clouds glide across that lofty infinite sky? How was it I did not see that lofty sky before? And how happy I am to have found it at last. Yes, all is vanity, all falsehood, except that infinite sky. There's nothing, nothing but that. But even that does not exist. There is nothing but quiet and peace. Thank God. Alrighty. There we go, another chapter down. And yet again, we've got in the heat of battle, someone doing the old appreciation of nature thing. Tolstoy loves that move. He does it so well. Alright guys, have your say about that one over on the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.